I'd like to welcome you to Rad Real Estate. Each episode, you'll join me while I do a deep dive into various topics related to selling and buying real estate. I'll talk about the state of the market, how to negotiate a contract, getting a home ready to sell, what to look for when buying, how to buy with a builder and what to expect, what's in the economic news, market trends, and how it all relates to real estate. I'm your host, Richard Dombrowski, and this is Rad Real Estate. Well, hello, folks, and thank you once again for joining me on Rad Real Estate. Here in 2023, this is our very first episode. Thank you so much for tuning in and being a loyal listener to this podcast. I am so thrilled that you've helped make this such a success so very early on. And please tell your friends. Today's topic that we're going to discuss is what to offer when buying a home when you've found one. If it's an existing home, that's a little bit of a, of a challenge. If it's a new home, um, we'll talk about that another time. But in this episode, we're going to talk about uh, the fact that you've already found a home, you've been working with your realtor, and now you want to figure out what to offer on that home to try and make it yours. And a good rule of thumb is that the closer you are to the list date, the less the seller wants to negotiate. And there's a bunch of reasons for that. Psychologically, the seller would very likely believe in the value and the price of their home for a variety of reasons. Either they feel that it's worth whatever it is that they've listed it for, or their realtor has convinced them that it is worth that. All right, so we'll talk about unscrupulous realtors and how they get listings in a future episode, but we're just talking about the mentality of the seller right now. And if their home is overpriced for whatever reason, because they've been given misinformation or they've been led down a, a wrong path, the seller may not have come to that realization yet. And how they come to that realization is they're either not getting any showing requests or maybe they're getting showing requests, but they're not getting any offers yet. And that obviously takes some time particularly in today's market where we've really normalized, in quotes, our market. So where six months ago we were putting homes on the market and getting 25 showing requests and maybe seven or eight or 10 offers that were competing with one another within a couple couple days of the home being listed, that's a thing of the past right now. So it takes a little bit of time for the seller to come to the conclusion that maybe they're priced too high. The other thing is that people tend to think that they have the best home in the neighborhood. You know, we put some TLC into our homes. The upgrades that we do to it are thought out. They're a value to us. So we, if we spend $10,000 on an upgrade, we put new countertops in, that doesn't mean you're going to get $10,000 worth of value out of it because you may have picked something that the general public doesn't even like. But you're still going to put that 
value on there, you're going to feel like you got a good deal on the on the labor that you paid for or on the materials that you paid for. So if you spent 10000 perhaps you would feel like the value is 15000 in any event. People tend to think that their home is the best home. So people will tend to look at why their home is better. The upgrades they've done, their view, their features of their home. Maybe they put a new roof on or something like that. But they don't necessarily look at why it's not as good. Perhaps the upgrades that they've done were done years ago and maybe not as up-to-date as someone who just updated their home down the block that is a similar floor plan or, or what have you. And those things play a factor in how we value a home that we're looking at to purchase. But taking all those factors into account, you still need some valuable information that you can get from your realtor. Ask your realtor to put together a CMA. Here's how I do it. I look at the market statistics. So I'll take the homes that are active on the market right now and I'll look at how many there are. What are the prices? What are the prices per square foot? How long have they been on the market? What are their features? What are their features compared to the home that you have interest in? And then I'll start to make some some assessments based on that information. I'll also look at the pending activity. How many homes are pending currently? Because that gives you a snapshot of what's happening in that neighborhood right now. And then you want to see the price per square foot and the overall prices of the homes in the community because you don't necessarily want to pay the correct price per square foot but be the highest priced home in the neighborhood. So that's something to consider when you're looking at the pending sales. Now, the caveat to looking at pending sales is that even though you'll see a price per square foot of those pending sales, when a home goes pending in the MLS, it goes pending at the list price. So we don't know where that home settled yet. We don't know what was negotiated as far as price is concerned. So we're, we've got to wait until that home closes. So that brings me to the third group of homes that I look at, and that is homes that have sold over the last 90, 180 days. We've entered it into a market now where we can look back almost six months to see what to see what homes have sold for. Because don't forget, seven months ago, eight months ago, nine months ago, the market was so heated up that you really didn't have a good barometer of what pricing was going to be because everything was on the rise. Now we're at a point where we can look back almost six months and see through that entire period of time what homes have sold for, how long it's taken them to sell, and we can make some judgments based on that. This category is the most important category because it is actually what people have paid for homes in that neighborhood. You want to see how many homes have sold in that period of time. You want to see how long they sat on the market. What is the price per square foot? That's an important factor, and I'll explain that to you. We look at price per square foot, and if you talk to any appraiser that's worth their salt, 
they will tell you that a price per square foot does not equate to an exact value. And they're correct about that. But it gives us a barometer. It gives us a starting point anyway that we can then start to make adjustments based on the features of other homes and the features of the subject home to make some extrapolations about value. And some of those features might be, does a home have a pool? What's its condition? Is the tile cracked? Is the deck cracked? If it's a pavered pool deck, then what's its condition? Do the pavers need to be re-leveled or replaced? Those types of things. If it's a pool in great condition, then that's something to consider. Does it have a lanai? Is it a covered lanai? Is it screened? Is it part of the pool area? Is it is there a pool at all, as, as I mentioned? In markets other than here in Florida, you might be looking to see if it has a finished basement. How is it finished? And what about the age of certain features of the home? How about the roof? That's a biggie, right? Insurance companies more and more lately are deciding that they don't want to insure homes that have a roof that's over 10 years old or over 15 years old, in spite of the fact that it may be a 30-year shingle or a tile roof that lasts longer, generally speaking. What about the age of the air conditioning and heating system? Those have gotten much more expensive lately. So if someone's purchasing a home and the HVAC system is much older, if it's 15 years, 16, 17 years old, well, you need to budget that that's going to need to be replaced. And so if you're comparing yourself to a home down the block that has a new roof and a new AC system, well, that home is going to have a higher value. It just will. And then you're going to look at the condition of the home. Has it been well cared for or is it run down? I'm working with a client right now where we have an offer in and it was accepted for a home that's a bank-owned property. Bank-owned properties tend to be run down. It's not a steadfast rule, but a general rule of thumb because the folks that are losing their home or ha that have lost their home, they give up on taking care of it. And they think, since I'm losing the home, I'm going to spend my money on my other place that I'm going to need to live rather than on the one that I'm living in now. And so the condition of the home in this case, it's pretty run down, but the home is priced accordingly. And that was important, obviously, in determining what to offer on the home. You know, other things to look at are what type of flooring is in the home. If you have a home that has hard surfaces throughout the home versus a home that has a lot of carpet, well, carpet is relatively inexpensive compared to hard surfaces, whether that's tile or luxury vinyl plank or wood floors, those types of things. Those are much more expensive, and so they have a higher value. So once you have a general idea of what's happening with those homes, the active, the pending, and the sold homes, and you get some feel for the price per square foot, that's not where it ends. Now you have to dig into the minute detail of each home, and your realtor should assign some values for those things that we've already discussed, like pools and lanai's and finished basements, the age of the roof, and all those things. So, so what I do is I provide a spreadsheet with that detail.
And I put things in that spreadsheet that are meaningful to me and to my buyer. And they would include the MLS number of the home, the status of the home, whether it's active, pending, or sold, the address, the air conditioning square footage. I'll also have in there the current price. Now, for listed homes, that's the list price. For pending homes, that's the list price, as I mentioned. And for sold homes, that will, of course, be the sold price. I want to put in there the number of bedrooms and bathrooms, the year that the home was built, because that's an important factor to consider as well. Whether it has a pool or not, in any part of the country, a pool is considered a luxury item, right? So we want to make sure that we put that in there. How much are taxes? And that's important because you want to foresee any anomalies that might exist. If the taxes on a home are particularly high or low, then you can explain those things to your buyer and let them know why that is. You also want to show the active days on market. And like I said before, that's important because if a home has just been on the market for a couple of days, the strategy might be different than if it's been on the market for 150 days, right? So then the next thing is the sold terms for the homes that have sold. Are they getting loans? Are they cash purchases? Are they a lot of VA loans? All that information is important. And then for the sold homes, what was the close date? As I mentioned, I'm able to go back almost six months now to see a history because we've moved out of that frenzied market and we're in a much more stable, normalized market. And then, of course, as I mentioned before, we want to see what the list price per square foot is, what the sold price per square foot is. And then one other column that I include is what is the list price per square foot versus the sold price per square foot. What is that percentage? And again, eight months ago, homes were selling for 105% of the list price. So people were bidding over list price to purchase those homes. 105, 110%. It was, as I mentioned, pretty crazy. But now you'll see homes that maybe if they're priced right, they're selling at at 103% or 100% of the list price. But more typically, we're finding that homes are selling at 97%, 98%, 95% in that range somewhere because sellers are putting their homes on the market considering the fact that someone's going to submit an offer that's lower than the list price. So those are the, the pieces of information that I include in the spreadsheet and provide that to my buyers so that we can look at that information together and make some determinations. Another factor is determining how important it is for the buyer to get this home. That's going to change the strategy on the offer you submit. And that's just how it works. So you take a look at all of this information, as I mentioned before, the summary of the active, pending, and sold homes, and then the detail of the active, pending, and sold homes. The other thing that 
I do is I talk to the listing agent. That's important. Now, I don't take everything that the listing agent says at face value, but I gauge their answers to questions that I ask about the listing. I ask what the activity has been thus far. Where are the sellers going? Are they retiring, relocating? They need a bigger home because a bigger family or other family members are moving in with them. Do they need a smaller home? So they're downsizing for whatever reason. Are they already under contract on their next home? Uh, the other thing that I'm going to ask the listing agent for is disclosures. And we've talked about that in a previous episode. If you don't remember that, you should look back and and take a listen. But there's a seller's property disclosure, which is a disclosure that the seller fills out in the state of Florida. It's a, it's a law that the listing agent cannot fill that out on behalf of the seller. So the seller fills that out and they tell you everything about the home. For information purposes, I'll run down those categories for you. The first category would be the structure, systems, appliances. So are those things all in working order? Are the structures, including the roof, ceilings, walls, doors, windows, foundation, pool, hot tub, if any, structurally sound and free of leaks? What about the second category of termites and wood-destroying organisms and pests? Have there been any instances of, of those? What about water intrusion? Has there been any uh, flooding in the property? Has past or present water intrusion affected the property? How about plumbing? What's the source of the drinking water? Is it public, private? Is it a well? Have you had a problem with that in the past? Do you have a sewer, septic system? And then the next category would be pools and hot tubs and spas. And what condition are those in? How about if there's been a sinkhole on the property? That's a huge issue, right? So here in Florida, you could have a home that has a or had a sinkhole and maybe it was remediated in one part of the neighborhood. And in the other part of the neighborhood, there has never been any sinkhole activity. Well, homes that are sold right near that sinkhole and homes that are on the other side of the community that have had no exposure to that would have a very different value. And that's a big thing to consider. You want to know about it. You want to know if the current owner or the past owner has filed an insurance claim because of a sinkhole. The next category would be if there's a homeowners association, are there restrictions? Are there boundary issues? Are, what, are the, what about the access roads? Those are things to understand as well. What about environmental? That would be the next category. Was the property built before 1978? That's significant because homes that were built before 1978 would have had lead in the paint, and that's important to know. What about any asbestos, mold, radon gas, defective drywall? Again, all important factors to understand. What about any governmental issues? Are there any zoning violations or non-conforming issues? Meaning that the home is being used for a purpose other than living in it. Are there any land use or administrative regulations that are in conflict with existing 
or intended use of the property. Have any improvements been constructed in violation with applicable local flood guidelines or permitting requirements? You see lots of instances where people have put an addition on their home that they never permitted. That becomes a bit of an issue, especially for insurance purposes down the line if you purchase that home. If something has been built and not permitted, there could be a violation, a code violation that someone has to pay for. And that sums up the seller's property disclosure that we've discussed in previous episodes. But you could see why all of that information is important as you're formulating a value for the home and the offer you want to submit. Now, Another factor to consider is the motivation of the seller, as we discussed just a little bit earlier. I'll give you an example of my situation. When I put my home on the market, my daughter was soon going to be going off to college. And so I didn't want to complicate that experience with trying to pack up and move into my next place while all that was going on. So when the astute agent representing the buyer asked me what was important to me other than price I said closing in two and a half months would certainly take a lot of pressure off of me and my family so that would be very important in an offer that was submitted well guess what that's the kind of offer that I received I got my price and I got the terms so that I could take care of getting my daughter off to college, and not have to worry about moving out of my home. So those are the very important things all together that help you formulate what kind of an offer you're going to submit. And that is done with the help of your realtor. Because let me tell you, if you're trying to assemble all that information and pull all that information yourself from realtor.com or Zillow or Redfin or one of those types of sites, it's not going to give you that information in that great of depth. It just won't. And it will assign some values for things that are just not correct. I'll give you a good example. So all of the things that I'm talking about this episode regarding all of the detail that you need to assemble is simply not provided by those other sites. What happens with those automated value models like Zestimates and things like that is they put all of the, the recent closings that have occurred basically in a pot and they stir it up and they come up with an average price per square foot and then they apply that over all of the homes in the neighborhood. So it doesn't take any of those details into consideration. So you may get a Zestimate that shows that your home is way high in value or way low in value and you can't understand why. Well, that's the reason because maybe a home that had no good features at all just closed and Maybe it had a sinkhole or what have you, and that brings the average down. So now your new Zestimate is priced incorrectly. It's not showing a, a good value there. So all that's why you need 
a good realtor that understands the market, that can help you understand the market, and you work together to put that offer together with the terms, with the price, with the closing date, and all of that. And that's how you're able to get a home under contract. So I hope you've learned some valuable information today. I tried to make that as succinct as possible and as informative as possible to help you when you're working with your realtor on submitting an offer on a home. Thank you so much for tuning in to Rad Real Estate. Next time, we're going to talk about earnest money deposits, down payments, and how to prepare for your move. Thank you for tuning in once again to Rad Real Estate. I'm Richard Dombrowski, and we will see you next time. This has been a Rad Real Estate Podcast in cooperation with Bay Realty of Florida, LLC, a Florida-based real estate company. Episodes are written, directed, and edited by Richard Dombrowski. The views expressed on this podcast are the opinions of the host and guests of the show and should not be used to make financial decisions or in buying or selling real estate. To find out more information, contact the host directly at Florida at gmail.com. The theme song is Action by Cube Sounds and can be found on Pixbay.